Yesterday, uh, Heather and I had a wonderful time uh, up in New York City. She, uh, she bought me a, uh, a we, it's for, my, for my birthday. We didn't celebrate my birthday as a church. That's okay. I won't, I won't take it personally. Uh, we, were, we were in, um, listen, I, I've worked for guys every year. The church threw them a birthday party that they planned. Um, so we, we, were in, uh, we were in Missouri for my birthday. My birthday is January 1st, so you all celebrated it whether you planned on it or not. Uh, but it was a... Uh, it was a good time, but we went up and saw, uh, we went and saw a show, we went and saw Stomp, but my, my best friend and his wife live up in West Point, New York, so they drove down and met us there, and we had a wonderful time, uh, but at, at brunch yesterday, I thought I was going to die. We had brunch, and I made a mistake. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever done this or not. Uh, my friend, he ordered, a, he ordered a pretzel, and they brought out dipping sauces. Well, what do you normally dip pretzels in? You normally dip them in, in cheese or mustard, right? That's, right. Well, so I, I, I took off uh, and I, I, I took off a chunk of that pretzel and dipped it in mustard. Or so I thought. And I took a bite, and it was a, I, I like mustard, so it was a good chunk. I mean, the, the pretzel was like that big around. It was a big pretzel. And I dipped it in there, and I took a bite, uh, and I instantaneously knew. I had made a mistake, and I thought I was going to die. I'm not allergic to anything, uh, but I, it, was, um, it was wasabi, mustard-like material. And I'm not much of a, Heather loves spicy stuff, right? I'm, I, so, like, I mean, she, she got hot sauce for her omelet. She, you know, and it, it's a regular conversation around our house of, yeah, that had a little more spice than you thought, hon. Uh, so, because Bennett wouldn't eat it at all. And there's times that, you know, so yesterday I took a bite of this um, wasabi mustard pretzel uh, that was trying to kill me. And I, I, I have never felt such a feeling in my nose. Never in my life. Uh, and Heather, and I, I look, and my, my friend instantaneously saw my, my face. His name's Jay. Jay saw my face, and he, he, I said, that's hot. And he goes, yeah, I can tell. And then Heather looks at me, and my eyes literally are watering. I mean, watering. Not, and, and she goes, your face is getting red. I said, yes, because I'm about to die. <laughs> it was that hot. Now, the nice thing about wasabi is that it passes quickly. Um, but it was not a pleasant experience. There's a good 30 seconds there. I was pretty certain this is the end. And the last taste in my mouth is going to be burning fire on my tongue. Have you ever done that where you just, you, you, you grab something, you took a bite of it, and it was not what you expected? You did it, you did it to Wendell. Was that on purpose? You didn't know it was facade. Okay. I'll pray for you. All right. All right. Now, some of us do that on accident. Some of us do that on purpose. You eat something that you know is going to hurt. Like, have you ever seen these people that do like the buffalo wing challenges? Where they, if this is, they have to sign a waiver that says, if I die while eating this buffalo wing, I will not sue you. There was a, there was a, there was a, a shop in San Diego that all they sold was hot sauces. And they apparently had a good business because they were in a good location. And they actually had this little cabinet of hot sauces that you had to sign a release form. That if you bought this and it killed you, you were not going to sue them. They, and it's like the, one, of, one of the hot sauces, it was, it was no bigger than this. And they said one drop per five gallons of chili. Why in the world would you do that to yourself? 
But we do it all the time. How many of you have a food allergy or something that doesn't agree with you, but you still eat it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, my, my brother has an allergy to garlic, but he loves garlic. And so he'll eat, and, it, and he suffers for it later on. I love, I love like caramelized onions on a hamburger. They do not love me back. They don't love me back. I, I, I like orange juice a lot. Orange juice, again, heartburn. And it, but there just comes, kind of comes a point where we decide, you know what? I like it. I know I'm going to pay for it, but I'm going to do it anyways, right? Yeah. Yeah, we all get to that point where we're just kind of like, I know this is going to hurt, but I'm going to do it anyway. Sometimes it's by accident when you grab wasabi mustard. Uh, other times it's just on purpose. You know, it was, it was so very applicable to our text today, this idea of doing things that hurt, our, hurt ourselves on purpose. I, I, I was fascinated with this text when I first read it. So much so that we almost didn't do the second half of John chapter 4 last week because I, I wanted to preach the message. Because I, Jesus, in John chapter 5, uh, asks one of the most powerful questions that I think uh, you can find in the Word of God. And we'll, we'll get to it in just a minute, but let me set the scene for you. In the, in the scene here, there is a young man. Not, I say young man. He's not young man. Because in, um, in biblical times, we, we see in John chapter 5 that this man is an invalid, had been sitting at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. Now, 38 years does not sound old in today's day, but 38 years in biblical times, you are ancient. You are an elder in the community because people's lifespan was not nearly as long uh, as it is today. So think about that. Jesus was 33 when he started his earthly ministry. He was actually an elder in the community at 33. Isn't that fascinating? So here we are. We, we're at the pool of Bethesda, and there's this, this invalid sitting there that's been sitting there for 38 years. That's a long time to sit someplace. And so when we look in John chapter 5, we, we see uh, this scene. Now, here's a, here's a fascinating thing. As I was studying this, um, in, in the different uh, archaeological records and stuff, they had never found anything to confirm the existence of the Pool of Bethesda. So for centuries, they thought this was just either the, either the author of John had placed it in the wrong spot, had talked about it in the wrong way, until uh, recently they found, uh, as they continued to dig out the old city of Jerusalem, they found the description that matches the book of John to find this is a real place. This is, it's, it's beautiful as uh, they continue to explore Israel where they find more and more that is truly uh, it's truly reflected in the biblical text. So in John chapter 5, verse 1, here's where we, we start. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, is a, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a number of disabled, disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now, it's interesting that the name Bethesda. Bethesda, depending upon how they spell the word, because, you know, sometimes biblical interpretations, there's a little variance in words. Bethesda either means grace and mercy or cursed. And it's interesting that this, here's a pool at the, the temple gates that they believed at this time that there was an angel that would come and stir the waters. And when the angel would stir the waters, the first one to make it into the waters would be healed. 
That was, so that's why all the invalids and cripples and, and those that were lame would be there because they were waiting for their opportunity to be healed. They, they believed in the mythical properties of this water. So in verse 4, or verse 5, it says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? What an interesting question. Do you want to get well? Here's a man that's sitting at the pool of Bethesda that people come to to get healed. He's been there for 38 years. And Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to get well? Now, if we were sitting there, we would probably, you know, maybe we're the guy sitting next to the invalid. We'd go, well, yeah, duh, he's right here. But something in what Jesus saw questioned whether this man really wanted to get well. Do you really want to get well? What a powerful question. What a powerful question. Think about that when we eat things that we know are going to hurt us. Like for me, orange juice. I love it. But we decide, yeah, you know what, the, the cost of that's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and do it. How many of you have ever, uh, guys, older gentlemen, whatever age that qualifies for you in your mind, trying to live, relive the glory days of the football of years past, and you get out there and you throw the football with the younger kids and the teenagers, and you all get out there, and what do you say? This is going to hurt in the morning. But does it stop us? No. We keep on doing things that we know are going to hurt us. That's why Jesus is asking this question. Do you want to get well? You know, in today's day and age of information and technology and science, there's not a whole lot of things that you and I don't know how to fix. Now, obviously, there's, there's some illnesses that we can't just cure. There's some things that we can't just satisfy. But there's other things that we just live with it the way it was or the way it is because we don't want to go through the steps or the efforts or the energy to fix what needs to be fixed? How many of you have watched a TV show because the remote was sitting on the other couch and you did not want to get up to change it? Yeah, yeah, you laugh because it's true, right? We go through things and we say, well, of course, I don't want to just be satisfied with the way things are. But day after day, we struggle with the same things without going through the effort to fix it. That's why Jesus looked at him and said, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? It's very much like the prayer of St. Augustine that we've talked about. We talked about on Wednesday nights as part of the life you've always wanted. He prayed one time, St. Augustine prayed, Lord, make me chaste. Make me sexually pure. Make me you know, strong, but not yet. A lot of times we have this, Lord, I want you to fix my problems. I want you to take care of this issue, but I also want to still enjoy this sin. I want this, I, I don't want this struggle, but let me do this for a little bit longer. And so we tell our things, ourselves things like, we'll just do it one more time. I'll just have one more bite. I'll just have one more cigarette. I'll have one more drink. I'll just have one more. But one more is never one more, is it? No. Really what it is, is it's just an excuse of, well, yeah, I meant to do just one 
But before I knew it, I'd eaten the whole pack of Oreos. We do those things all the time, don't we? And we are so good at making excuses for ourselves. We're so good at making excuses. Well, I didn't mean to do that. Well, sure. I didn't mean to do that. But you knew what you were doing. We do it all the time. That's why I think Jesus asked that question. Do you want to get well? And what did the man, what did the man say? The man said, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. What's he doing? He's making an excuse. I mean, I don't want to, I never want to call somebody a liar to their face. But here's a man that has been sitting by the pool for 38 years. And yet, has never had someone to help him make it in? In 38 years? It's, it's the, if only this, then I would fix this problem. If only this. If I had enough money, then I would start tithing. If I, if I had a better house, then I would start being hospitable. If I knew more people, then I would start inviting people to church. If I did, if, 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 if. This man said, I have no one to help me. And before you know it, the problem that you were wanting to fix has been your problem for 5, 10, 15 years. It's amazing how quick time goes by, isn't it? We're already two weeks into 2018. Wow. It goes quick, doesn't it? Because we make excuses for ourselves. And here this invalid, now Jesus isn't questioning whether or not he needs to be healed. Jesus is questioning whether or not he wants to be healed. Because the man answers him with an excuse. Wouldn't that make you question whether or not he really wanted to be healed? Because sometimes people get so comfortable in circumstances, we get so comfortable in where we're at, that we get scared of what does it look like if I don't have this crutch, if I don't have this excuse, if I don't have this problem. Sometimes we're more comfortable with the issue that we know than the possibility of what could happen if we didn't have that little comfort. It's not a convenient comfort. It's, it's not something we like. It's not something we really want. But it's oftentimes better to us than the uncertainty of something new. If you talk to most drug addicts, many, most of them will tell you they don't want to be a drug addict. They don't desire to be an addict. And how they got there is not necessarily uh, the most important thing. The question of what are they willing to do to stop being an addict. It's hard work. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes effort. But we know of all sorts of ministries and opportunities of ways of places that will help them stop being an addict. But how many addicts slip back into being an addict once they're cured? Once they're free? Because it's the life they know. I have a good friend that uh, he, his, his favorite way of talking about a rut, because we all get in ruts. That's why we do the same behavior over and over again, even if it hurts ourselves. He says, you know what a rut is? A rut 
is, uh, it's, it's just a grave with the ends kicked out. We get into that same spot and do the thing over and over and over again. Because we won't, don't want to do the things that it takes to change. So he said somebody gets down there before him. And when he, get, when he said that, here's what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. He picked up his mat and walked. Here's, here's the thing that we have to understand. We have to move beyond excuses. And we have to participate with what Jesus is trying to do in our lives. Because we participate with Jesus. You know, Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? And he gave an answer. But then Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. Imagine if he just sat there and said, you know, Jesus, thanks for the good words. But I'm just going to hang out here for right now. I, I, I think the man would have lost his healing. Jesus offers transformation. It's not overnight. It's not easy. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's, it's a miraculous, instantaneous, boom, here you go. But what does the Word of God tell us? It tells us that we are to come together, hold one, hold one another accountable, to be in relationship with each other. But the, one of the things that I think hinders relationship within the body of God, in the body of Christ, is the fact that when you're in real good relationship with people, then you are now accountable for your actions because somebody knows what you're doing because you've built that deep relationship. And so if you don't want to change your life, you don't want accountability. You don't want somebody checking on what you're doing. You don't want somebody to know when you're lying. That's why Jesus asked the question, do you want to be well? Because there was some question about whether or not this man really wanted to be well. He said, pick up your mat and walk. That's what he said. The man picks up his mat and walks away. Do you know why it's so important for him to pick up his mat? This was, this was such a fascinating little thing. I mean, he could have just said, rise up and walk. He said, pick up your mat and walk. Do you know why it's so very important? Because the mat was where the man rested in his problem. The mat is where the man had become comfortable in his issue. The mat was what he was carried in on. It's what he was carried out on. So when Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk, what he was saying is, don't give yourself the opportunity to go back to where you've been delivered from. Don't give yourself the opportunity to go back to where you've become comfortable. Don't give yourself the opportunity to be delivered, but leave the door open to slide back into it. I've got a friend whose daughter's currently in Teen Challenge. One of their biggest concerns is when she comes out of Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge, we've had them here to minister, but it's for those that are struggling with addiction and uh, other issues in life. But addiction is their drug addiction is one of their primary ones. Uh, their plan is to move. Now, that's a big plan, isn't it? Somebody goes through a drug addiction thing, and they want to move. Why do they want to move? Because they want to remove her from the environment where she got wrapped up into the wrong lifestyle. That's a big step, isn't it? To move. But how many of us, we, 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 we don't want to get, we don't want to do anything crazy. Like, you know, 
remove ourselves entirely from the situation that has caused us so much struggle. But Jesus told this man, rise up and walk. Pick up your mat. Because he didn't want to give him the opportunity to go back to where he was the most comfortable. 38 years he sat there. You imagine it felt pretty familiar, didn't it? After 38 years of sitting in the same place, seeing the same people. I mean, he was still, he was an invalid, but he knew the other ones around the, the, the watering hole. He knew the other ones around the pool. He saw them every day. It gets pretty comfortable. Even in sickness, it gets pretty, pretty comfortable. So we cannot give ourselves the option to go back. Jesus is ready to deliver us. He's asking each and every one of us, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? We need to tell him yes. And then we need to put the effort in to change as he guides us, as he directs us. But we also need to make sure that we close the door on that old life. Now, here's such a fascinating thing in this story. In this, this story, Jesus said to pick up, so he picked up his mat and walked. And it continues on there in verse 9. says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. The law forbids you. All right, so everybody would have known who this dude was. He sat in the same spot for 38 years. How do I know that everyone would know who he was? Because you recognize the people that go to your Starbucks that you do not talk to. So they would have seen him. Because this guy would have been begging for money. He would have been asking for help for 38 years. 365 days a year. They knew who he was. And when the Pharisees saw him walking around, was their first response, dude, how are you walking? No, their first response is, why are you carrying the mat? You're breaking the rules. The rules say, you can't do that. You shouldn't be doing that. You're a sinner. You know, a lot of times, the efforts that we make to change our lives, other people will be critical of. Why are you getting so legalistic? We're just going to go hang out. If you don't want to drink, don't drink. Just come and be there. You say, you know what, I, I don't want to put myself in that environment. Hey, we're just going to go to the casino. It's not a big deal. If you don't want to gamble, don't gamble. Just hang out with us. People will look at it and they'll call you things like, they'll call you legalistic. They won't call you trying to be holy. They won't try, they won't call you righteous. They'll say, hey, why are you judging me for my actions when you're not saying a thing about what they're doing? All you're trying to do is change what you are doing. The Pharisees looked at him and said, hey, the law forbids you to carry your mat. And the fact of the matter is that there's all sorts of people. They're the rule keepers. They're like the NFL, right? We, we know what a catch is, right? The NFL is not sure what a catch is, right? They're not sure what is a good tackle, what's a bad tackle. The guy's not on his feet anymore, that's a good tackle. They've just become rule keepers, and that's what the Pharisees had become. The Pharisees had become more concerned with the rules than with what God was actually doing. 
You know, we've got all sorts of modern-day Pharisees. It's amazing, really. It's amazing sometimes uh, the things that people get upset about. Now, I'm sure none of you are like this, uh, but painting a room is one of the most divisive things you can do in a church because people didn't like the color of the paint. The songs that we sing. Whew. I mean, you, I've, been, I've been pastoring now for 20 years, and so uh, the phrase, the worship wars, is a very real thing. Are we going to sing out of a hymnal? Are we going to sing choruses? Are we going to use the overhead projector, which obviously we're still using overhead projectors? But there's always this push and pull. And a lot of times the combat that we feel in church has nothing to do with what God is actually doing. It has everything to do with the personal preference of what I want. How do I know the disciples, not the disciples, how do I know the Pharisees were more concerned with what they wanted than with what God was doing? Because who healed the invalid? Jesus. Jesus told the man to rise up and walk, to pick up his mat, knowing that it was a Sabbath. Jesus knew it was the Sabbath. Jesus was Jewish. He grew up Jewish. He's still Jewish. And he knew what the rules were, but he didn't care what the rules were. He wanted the man to be healed today, and so he didn't say, hey, let me come back tomorrow and heal you so you can walk away, okay? No, he said, rise up and walk. And the Pharisees look at it, and they missed it completely. They missed it completely. They missed the miracle that Jesus had done because they were concerned about the mat the guy was carrying. We cannot miss what God is doing by focusing on minor issues. Listen, there's going to be people that come to our church. They don't dress like you and me. Maybe they're covered in tattoos. Maybe they come in stinking of smoke. Maybe they come in, we, I've, I've, I've been in church services and I welcome folks. They come in high. Please, let's be a church that says, welcome. Let's be a church that says, we want you here. But see, Pharisees are going to say, you need to go home and clean up before you come in. Pharisees are going to say, hey, this is not appropriate attire uh, for church service. Pharisees are going to focus on the unimportant things rather than why did the Holy Spirit bring them to our doors? Rather than why are they here? They're here to find Jesus. The Pharisees missed the most important thing that happened that day, which was this man, after 38 years of being an invalid, he was healed. He was healed. As I was reading through this and even prior to preparing for this message, I really felt like God was, was giving us a theme for this year. He was giving us a theme verse that I think is, is so very important for us uh, as a church in 2018. I've prayed about this a lot. I gave uh, on this past Wednesday night, or Wednesday morning, I talked with the staff. We have, uh, we, we, I've selected three theme verses for the staff. And I believe one of those three is the verse that I want to share with you today. But I think it's the theme for us throughout this year. So if you would, it helps us to focus on what's right. If you want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to look at this chapter. It'll help us to focus on what Jesus is doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you're familiar with this chapter, I'm sure. 
Uh, if you grew up in Royal Rangers or Impact Girls, it's often referred to as the love chapter. Uh, maybe a better term for it is the love is indispensable in our lives. So here is, uh, here's what Paul says uh, in chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the, the things of childish, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. For now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I really believe in 2018 the focus for our church needs to be 1 Corinthians 13, 13. We are a church that's called to have faith. We're called to have hope. We're called to be filled with love. You know, there's a lot of things uh, about Calvary that are wonderful. It's a good church. Lots of great people. They give of themselves. They give of their time. They love their church. But we have opportunity to be the church that God has called us to be. That's why today's prayer point for the fast is that we would become the church God has called us to be. Because when we get comfortable with where we're at, when we get satisfied with where we're at, we're the invalid sitting by the pool of Bethesda, not changing. After 38 years, we're the same. That's why Jesus said, do you want to get well? We cling to the foundations of who Jesus has called us to be as a church. But if we grow in our faith, hope, and love, we become more open to that, what he wants to do in us. Because here's the thing we have to understand. I've quoted this before. I'm sure you've heard it before. But I love giving credit to uh, my good friend, Charles Norman, who passed away about two years ago. He was a beautiful man. I love, I love Mr. Norman. He, uh, the church I was at in Virginia, uh, Mr. Norman headed up benevolence for them for 28 years as a volunteer. So he was a beautiful man. I, I love Mr. Norman. He was, a, he was a Mumford Point Marine. 
Uh, he had a great history, a great legacy, honored by the president for being a Mumford Point Marine, uh, just a powerful man. But here's what he would tell me every time we talked. And we talked on a regular basis uh, because he, he was a volunteer. He was in the office. I, I just I appreciated him so much. He, he was an African-American version of my grandpa. You, I could put pictures of them next to each other. They're like the same guy. It's, it's great. I love it. Uh, but Mr. 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 Norman was such a good friend to me. And here's the th- same thing he would tell me every, every conversation. If there's anything I could ever do for you, please let me know. And I always ask him the same thing. Please pray for me. P- please pray for me. I, I, I ask you that same thing. But then here's how he would close every conversation. Remember, the best is yet to come. We as a church are called to be more than we are today. Does that mean there's something wrong with us today? No. But what it means is that God has something more for us. Faith, hope, and love. What does that look like? It means that we have faith in God. We have faith in God. What do we else? It means that we have hope for the future. We have hope for the future. There are promises that have been spoken over this house that have not yet come. There are promises of what God has spoken in your life that you have not yet seen. Does that mean it's not going to happen? No, it just means it hasn't happened yet. It's that already not yet. That's the theological term, already not yet. It means that it's already happened. You just have not yet seen it. It's the same thing we talk about with healing. We are healed because the Bible tells us by his stripes we are healed. It just We might not see the healing on this side of heaven, but our healing is already a fact. It is something that has happened. The promises that God gives us are going to happen. It might take longer than we want. It might take longer than we think. But when we hope for the future that Jesus has promised us, we are filled with joy. And then the last thing he says, love. Love for God and love for others. Listen, as we move forward as a church, we're going to see changes. We're going to see changes in the people that call this church home. We're going to see changes to the way things look. We're going to see changes to the way things sound. We're going to see all sorts of changes. And change can be uncomfortable. It can be very uncomfortable. That's why we get so comfortable with the things that we know. And Jesus asked, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? You know, I talked... This verse I've talked about in the context of our church. The way we change our church and we continue to grow and improve and we continue to move deeper and further is by changing ourselves individually. I'll talk about vision. I'll talk about direction. I'll talk about all these things, which is wonderful. It's great. It's of God. This verse here, I think if we focus on having this as individuals, then it becomes second nature for us as a church. I want us to have a faith in God that is unshakable. I want us to have hope for the future of what God is going to do. I love what Amu tells me. If you don't know Amu, he's, he's the treasurer on our board. He's also heads up our usher team. He, one of his, the big things he prays for is that these two side sections are going to be filled. It's not that it's about numbers. It's about lives that are being transformed and touched in our community. Let's continue to have hope for the future. But the way that we have faith The way that we have hope and the way that people come and join the family of God, the family at Calvary Lighthouse, is by being filled with love. Love for God and love for one another. Because people can tell when we are faking it. 
So you have to be genuinely filled with love. You have to be genuinely filled with love for God and love for others. Jesus looked at the man and said, do you want to be well? And when the Pharisees saw him carrying his mat, and this is why the Pharisees lost influence. That's why the Pharisees lost the impact that they could have had for the kingdom of God. If the Pharisees had embraced Jesus, they would have been seen as the heroes in the New Testament. But rather, what are they? they are the, they're the evil henchmen. They are the, they're the bad guys because they never embraced Jesus because they were more concerned with the rules. If they had said, look at the miracle that Jesus has done here. What'd they say, though? Why are you carrying your mat? You're breaking the rules. There's all sorts of modern-day Pharisees. And when we learn to embrace what Jesus is doing, when we focus on the important things, and what does 1 Corinthians tell us? The greatest of these is... greatest of these is love. John tells us that we will be known as Jesus' disciples by our love for one another. Let's be a church that loves people. And that might mean that there's some things in your life that you have to work through. You have to let Jesus heal you. You have to let them go. You have to get up off that couch of comfort that you have sat on so much that has molded to your behind and move and change and allow Jesus to transform you. And here's a reminder. This is a powerful, powerful reminder. Jesus heals the invalid after 38 years. The invalid walks through the temple. The Pharisees say, hey, what are you doing? But when you look at verse 14... In chapter 5, it says, Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Proverbs has a powerful verse. It's, it's Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. You're probably familiar with it. It says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. We would like to believe that when Jesus asks us, do you want to get well? We would say yes. But it's so easy to fall into old patterns. It's so easy to fall into old habits. Anybody that's ever tried to start something new understands how hard it is to maintain that. That's why love for one another is so very important. Because love fosters trust. When we love somebody, when somebody loves us, we trust them. Heather, when she was planning our, our, our birthday retreat or birthday weekend for me, the, the thing she asked me, she said, I need, a, I need a date on your calendar when you don't have anything planned. And I could have said, why? I could have uh, questioned her. Some people are very hard to surprise. Uh, I'm not revealing anybody, but somebody threw a surprise party or tried to for their mom for their retirement and it was a fight. It was, I wasn't going to name any names in case somebody's mom was watching on live stream, uh, but LaShawn and her mom love each other. But once mom found out that LaShawn was throwing a surprise party for her for her retirement, uh, at that point she was involved in the planning. 
And I don't think it's because they don't love each other. Mom just might have a control issue. Uh, I don't, I, I've never met her. I have met her, but I don't know her. So, but listen, when we love one another, we trust one another, don't we? When we trust one another, we're willing to be in relationship. We're willing to be in accountability. We're willing to allow somebody to speak into our lives and say, you know what? That's not right. When we grow in our faith, our hope, and our love, our lives have the potential to be transformed because we are telling Jesus, yes, Jesus, I want to pick up my mat. I do not want to be the same tomorrow that I am today. But many of us have been the same for 5, 10, 15 years because we have wrapped ourselves in our problems and we have become, we have become comfortable with who we are. Not that we're all bad, that we're all sinners. and going to have, Listen, Jesus transforms us, but oftentimes we hold on to those things that are comfortable for us. We hold on to them because they're familiar, because we know them. The idea of stepping into something new is intimidating. It's scary. But here's my promise to you. Jesus will find you later. That's what he did. He found the man later on in the temple after he got up and walked. And we could look at that as a warning or we could look at it as an encouragement. Jesus came up alongside of him and said, I'm still here. Jesus tells you that same thing. As we walk into the destiny of who Jesus has called us to be as individuals and as a church, we are never alone in that transformation. We are never alone in those moments. Jesus is always with us. When we pick up our mat and walk, Jesus isn't sending us off to school to see us at the end of the day. Jesus is walking alongside of us to see our lives continually transformed. What a powerful question. And it's one that only you can answer. It's one that only you know the genuineness of your heart. Do you want to be healed? That's the question Jesus asked. Do you want to be healed?